Hello, welcome to What About the Music, a podcast brought to you by Soul Stereo. Today's guest is Alex Stern. He's now director of music for global agency DDB Chicago. Alec has the unique position to oversee music for some of the largest brands in the world, including McDonald's, Miller Lite, Capital One, State Farm, among others. Alec, thanks for coming on. Thanks for the time. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Any, any time, absolutely. You've, you've had a great career in, in advertising. You're, you're a music producer as well. Would love to know about how you got started in the crazy world of advertising and, and what led you to pursue a career in advertising as well. For sure. It's really interesting because... This was, I think you'll find with a lot of music producers, music supervisors, especially of a certain generation, I think it's different now. I think my generation and the generations prior, you'll find that a lot of these people just sort of fell into this, which is, it wasn't as known as a career path, even when I started as it is now. The fact that it is that music supervision is being taught in major universities. And, you know, it's something that I hear from high school kids as, as their dream career and things like that. I think it's amazing. And that's one of the reasons why I, I love doing stuff like this is to just sort of continue that narrative to let anyone and everyone know who has a passion for music, that there, there are so many different types of careers within the music industry, you know, other than, just being a touring artist or a manager or, or whatever, you know, whatever those things that maybe come first to mind. And so I've gotten very, very lucky to have found a career within the realm of music where music is in my title, what allows for my livelihood and is the basis of every conversation that I have. It's really remarkable to find myself in this spot. But to, to, yeah, to answer your question, um, how I got into all of this. It was largely a series of accidents and lucky breaks uh, that got me here. Uh, music has been really my whole life since I was about 12 years old as a music player, music creator, music lover and fan and geek and all of the above. I always had this notion that whatever I ended up doing with my life, I kept it relatively broad, but I knew that as long as it had something to do with music, I was going to be happy. And that was really sort of my driving force. And so when I was in college, I had a number of internships in sort of the music space. I worked for a event production company. I worked for a summer long festival. And then I ended up really through happenstance at what's called an original music house, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners will know what that is, but for those who do not, it is a company with a roster of music composers and editors and producers and sound designers, et cetera, who create music for visual media. And that tends to be for ads, but you're seeing a lot that are now more bespoke for film trailers and video games and things like that. This really sort of fell into my lap really sort of happenstance. I was on a charity board with someone I went to high school with um, who had a family friend connection to this place and we ran into each other. And she was like, you love music. You always loved music in high school. You were always like in bands. And I <laughs> I won the distinction of the award, this like senior superlative of most likely to win a Grammy uh, in high school, which I'm still gunning for. Um, 
And so she was like, I, I know this company, I have some familiar connection there. They're looking for interns this summer. Here's sort of what they do. Is, is this of any interest to you? And that was really my first sort of introduction to this world, to the idea of where music and advertising sort of intersect. And so I was an intern there for a summer, absolutely loved the environment. I just loved the creativity of it. It just seemed like such an adult playground, um, which I thought was off limits to adults. Um, and it just seemed so interesting and for music to really sort of like penetrate the walls of the place and to meet all the different clients and, and things like that. And I really just sort of fell in love with that world. And through that experience, I actually, I tried my hand a little bit at composition, which was really, really fun for me. Um, I was just super envious of the process and just wanted to get a sense if that was something that I could, I could do, writing the picture, you know, creating a musical world from scratch and really sort of enhancing the emotion of a piece of film, you know, and seeing how integral music was to that process. You know, it, it really is an amazing thing to get a piece of film with no music on it. And it can be beautifully shot and it can be beautifully written and beautifully acted and beautifully lit and all these sorts of things. But you end up with something and it's there's so little emotion there just in terms of picture. And as soon as you add a single, you know, synth pad or acoustic guitar or bass or, you know, drum beat or whatever it is, it's incredible to just see how much it comes to life just in those, you know, small musical elements. And so I wanted a taste of that. I wanted to see if that was something that I could do. And so I kind of on the side started to ask some of the composers like, hey, can you send me your stuff like that you're working on? Can I ghostwrite on this? Like, can I work on it? And so I ended up working on a couple of projects and just really, really loved that. Turns out I had a knack for it. So my senior year of college, back at the University of Illinois, back when all my friends were like going to the bars and stuff, I was writing music for Frosted Mini Wheats and Tennessee Board of Tourism. And I had a Nike ad and, and all these sorts of things, which was really, really fun. And it was really through that experience that I got to know a lot of people on the agency side of things as those were my clients, those were the people that I was interacting with. And through that, I ended up meeting a couple guys who had just been hired as the heads of music at the advertising agency, Leo Burnett. I met Leo Burnett's recruiter who recommended that, you know, we get in touch and that, you know, I might be a great fit to help them out. They were just kind of starting their department and were looking for some help, for some assistance. And I really knew nothing about the inner workings of an advertising agency. I had never really tried music supervision before, but they saw something in me and I had, you know, enough experience on the original music side of things that I was able to bring that background to what they were doing. And they were unbelievably gracious and willing to teach me the ropes of how to survive in an advertising agency, what all of you know, the lingo and stuff means, what the hierarchy is, and really just, you know, how to do the job, how to do it well, who the major players are, and all those sorts of things. And so that was really sort of my introduction. It was yeah. kind of just being thrown into the mix, learning from a couple people that I considered to be among the best in the field. Yeah, that was a great and, team uh, at Leo. Yeah. And if you see now, kind of like where everyone is, like everyone is is a rock star now in, in, in whatever they're doing. And it's, it's, um, 
it's just an amazing team and amazing to see how all of you guys were together there. Yeah, it was an incredible breeding ground for that. And it was, it was a really interesting time at the time that we were doing it. Um, there was just sort of this explosion of, you know, agencies really, really desperately wanting music supervisors in-house. I like to think that a decent chunk of that is because of the work that we were doing. We were doing some really, really amazing work at Leo Burnett, bringing incredible creative to life, winning a ton of awards, et cetera, et cetera. And you started to just notice different agencies, both in Chicago and elsewhere. I think to sort of start to take a look and just go, oh, I want what they're doing. Like that seems like a really winning formula. And so, you know, we we had a hand in helping a couple other music supervisors get on their feet at different agencies. You know, all of the members of our team at Leo Burnett ended up getting poached somewhere else. Uh, we, we've all gone on to do really amazing things. And um, yeah, and I, I count myself very much among that group in that, geez, at this point is about four years ago, I got a call from DDB who had been without a in-house music supervisor for I think close to a decade at that point. And they were trying to win a couple major pieces of business. And I think in the creative that they were presenting to those major, major clients, so much of it in terms of storytelling and connection to audience and just sort of breaking new ground and how they were approaching it. So much of it just sort of inherently had to do with music at its core. And I think that they were really smart in, in sort of realizing that and, and thinking, man, we'd be crazy to, to try and accomplish all of this, to really be the agency that we're, you know, purporting to be with, without music, you know, within the building, without having a music director who can speak to all these things and push us in the right direction and tell us what's possible and what's not and open, you know, our doors to the music industry in ways that we could never do without it. And so I was given that call about four years ago, really with that opportunity of, hey, you know, we're seeing everything that's happening at Leo Burnett. We love, you know, everything you're about. We've heard amazing things. We want all of that for DDB and more. And so, you know, how would you like to come on board and really sort of build a music department in whatever way you best see fit, taking everything that you've learned, things that you see that work, eliminating all the processes that don't, spearheading our creative and our production and our strategy in that space, and really just making us an agency that values music and pushes the boundaries of music in a way that I think that they were really hoping that they'd be able to accomplish. And so that was a very flattering call to get. It was kind of a no brainer and it's been, you know, a journey for the last four years. Yeah. And I'm sure like, you know, DDB not having a, a music department or a music supervisor versus having one, it just having one, it creates so many more conversations around music. Right. And music is more of a, of a conversation now every single day. And so, you know, it's, it's important to acknowledge how important it is to have a, a music department or people that live and breathe music every day. Right. Because uh, it can, it can truly help a lot of the, the campaigns that, that everyone is working on. I think a lot of this comes from, from that experience that I was talking about earlier, being a composer and getting a piece of film. It's, it's really a trip, you know, for, for people to, you know, to see like, you know, a Gatorade spot, you know, that that's filmed on, you know, a full football stadium and there's all this excitement and energy and all those sorts of things. And when there's no music, it's like, you almost don't really know what to feel. Like you feel like you should, but 
such an essential ingredient is is just missing. And it was really through that experience that I had the realization that, you know, experiential marketing aside, when you're talking about sort of just traditional ads, traditional marketing, we're really only talking about two senses here. We're talking about visual and we're talking about audio, you know, what you can see and what you can hear. There's no, again, experiential aside, there's no taste to, to advertising. There's no smell to advertising. There's no touch to advertising. A huge part of what I've considered to be my sort of role is to equal out the balance between those two remaining senses that we're dealing with. So often in terms of thought and time and energy and budget and resources and all those sorts of things, it's so incredibly heavily skewed on the visual side of things. You know, who's the director going to be? Uh, why, why? I think if you sort of take a macro view, it's like the visuals are the information. The audio is the emotion. That's that's sort of how I look at it from the most 36,000 feet view. Um, you know, the visual is what is the information that needs to be telegraphed that can be what the story is, that certainly is what the product is, what the product does, who the client is, all of those sorts of things. The audio is what's the emotion that we want you to feel about said information. And that can be for the client as well. You know, that's where a great jingle or a great mnemonic comes in, into play. That's, that's there to boost an emotional response to a brand, to a product, to a client. If, again, we're taking the farthest possible view of what it is that, that we do in advertising, it's ultimately to sell product to sell a client. And, you know, in terms of all those sorts of things, we, there's certain information that has to come across. What is the product? Who is the one delivering the message? Who is the target demographic? How does it work? How does it function in your day-to-day -day life? All those sorts of things. And so I think that there's just sort of this tendency to get caught up in the notion that that's the most important thing. Mm. And I understand why that is. Part of my job and I think the job of any you know, music supervisor, music producer is that information only goes so far if there's no emotional attachment to it. I think it's easy for people to sort of see that as an added bonus, as a luxury, as a nice to have, whatever it is. I think my job is to prove the case that, that, that it's as essential, if not more essential, as the information being given. We want people to feel a certain way. We want people to feel positively, to feel moved, to feel energized, whatever it is. And in my experience, the vast, vast majority of that emotional response comes from what you're hearing. Yeah. And that comes from music. I mean, these days, everyone has like short attention spans. And like, even if you're watching a TV show on Hulu or, or and then a sponsor that comes, like you immediately turn to your phone, wait for that ad to finish. <laughs> yeah. But if you, but if the ad comes on and you hear something you like, mm -hmm. that'll, that'll make you pay attention. And it's the same thing as like if you're in a party and, you know, you don't really know anybody and you're not really sure what the vibe is, but like the music's great. Like yeah. you're going to just be more invested in that experience. You're going to like wander around and be like, who's picking the music on this? This is super dope. Yeah. Or like feel good enough to dance a little bit. Saying like, hey, what song is this? Hmm. So cool. Mm -hmm. what, what is this? What am I listening to? And then having that urge to discover is so yep. powerful. And brands have a big opportunity, right, to be to be involved in that process, in that discovery. So you talking about the information, uh, how most of the visuals have the information and, and it's very important to convey that information in a meaningful way. But it first starts with the audio and the music so that the person can pay attention to the information. Right. 
For sure. I, I think what you said about discovery is exactly correct. And I think that we've seen time and time again, the notion of music discovery truly move the needle when it comes to what makes an ad great, what makes a campaign great, and by extension, what makes a brand great. Aside from advertising, aside from our day-to-day jobs, whatever it is, as human beings, we all love the notion of music discovery. We love being the one to tell our friends, hey, have you heard this? Um, Making playlists for folks, being the first ones to know you know, an artist or a song before they get big, whatever it is. And, and that's that's a universal, you know, piece of cultural cachet that we all desire and that we all feel really, really good about. It makes my day when I hear something new that I hadn't heard before that excites me or blows me away. You know, when talking to my wife at the end of the day, she asks, how was your day? If I hear a great song that day, that's the first thing I want to talk about. And so, you know, a huge part of having a music supervisor on staff is the ability to have intimate relationships with clients to help sort of guide them in that space to understand that, you know, you can have that cultural cachet that we all desire, that we all love to have as individuals. You can have that as a brand. You can be a brand that is able to provide that service for people um, to give them that discovery tool. You know, there's so much, you know, power and uh, influence that comes with being a major brand if you can use that to leverage, you know, a cool, interesting, sophisticated, whatever it is, musical point of view, every single time, um, really without fail, that that leads to, you know, larger, you know, cultural cachet, larger cool points for the brand. You know, if we feel like a brand has a cool taste in music, if they have a strong point of view on music, if they are consistently picking and putting out interesting compelling new old you know beloved whatever it is pieces of music you know we're going to inherently feel more positively about that brand um doesn't really matter all that much of you know what they're selling or 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 everything else about them you know there's nothing there's nothing really inherently cool or interesting about so many of the brands that we love so much of the positive feelings that we have about them comes from the fact that they have dope music taste and that they've invested in music in a way that we think is valuable. Yeah. And talking about discovery and, and brands that have taken advantage of that opportunity and created meaningful, meaningful partnerships, meaningful connections, right? Uh, and contributed to culture, we can, we can point at Miller Lite uh, as, as a brand that has been able to create meaningful connections with their audience, right? Through the power of music. I know you've, you've done a lot of uh, amazing Miller Lite work, but talk to us a little bit about you know, working with that brand when it comes to music, some of the creative process behind it and and day-to-day working with Miller. Yeah, for sure. So that was, Miller was one of the clients that DDB was in the process of pitching their business when I was hired. I think that one of the main reasons that I was brought on to the agency was in that pitching process, Miller was very adamant that you know, DDB, should you win our business, we very much want to be be seen as and or, you know, be, really truly become a music brand moving forward. They had invested a lot of money and time and energy into sports. And that was, you know, working out great. Um, but I think that they were interested in trying something new in, in really sort of positioning themselves in more of the music space. There were a lot of conversations that centered around the notion of, you find our product at every single 
music anything, <laughs> you know, in the country. Um, every concert, every festival, every house show, every whatever it is, um, our product is there. So why aren't people thinking of us as this big music brand in the way that some of, you know, Miller's competitors were? And so when I was brought on to the agency, that was really sort of priority number one, was figuring out how to position that brand to be seen as a music brand in a, in a way that a lot of their competitors were. And, you know, the way that I saw it, there were a lot of sort of steps to get there. I think that, as we said, you know, there was sort of the inherent luxury that it didn't feel to any of us that we would be going completely outside of our lane to have the aspiration to become a music brand. You go to any concert venue in the United States, you can order Miller Lite there. So there felt like an easy in kind of to get there. It was really just sort of refining some strategy a little bit. Um, you know, and certainly that came down to figuring out what festivals is Miller Lite activating at and how to be maybe more strategic about picking the festivals and how they were actually activating there realigning on some of their larger scale brand partnerships and things like that. Um, is there anything cool that we can do with the can um, in terms of more kind of experiential marketing, things like that. But really at its core, the main thing that I wanted to tackle first and foremost was figuring out what is the sound of Miller Lite? What does this brand sound like? The way that we associate a sound with a brand tends to be what is what's soundtracking their commercials. You know, people talk about like, oh, this sounds like an Apple spot or this sounds like a whatever spot. And that's because that's those are brands that have been, even if not consistent in terms of sound, have been consistent in terms of tone and approach in terms of how they soundtrack their ads. And so that relationship really began with me just having a ton of conversations with clients directly and just really sort of nailing down what do we want the sound of Miller Lite to be? You know, they were reintroducing the notion of it's Miller time. And so we saw this as a really interesting exercise to figure out what does Miller time sound like? And so being a musician, being a composer myself, a huge part of what I do day to day is really focusing on the notion of music articulation. How do we talk about music in a way that makes sense to folks? You know, can you describe a sound or an artist or a song or a genre or whatever it is without ever pressing play. It's a hard thing to do. It's something that most of us don't really get that much practice in. I think we all believe that we're better at it than maybe we actually are. Um, and so when you're put on the spot, a lot of times it's a lot of looking around the room and you know, really desperately wanting to just press play. I find that to be a very crucial part of what I do, my approach to music supervision. And especially when dealing with clients or people where maybe music articulation doesn't come as naturally. Part of the approach for me was, let's talk about everything but music to start. What is Miller Lite's history? What is the demographic that we have been reaching? Who are we trying to reach? What have been campaigns that we felt have been successful? Where have we felt that as a brand, we've lost our way? Tell me about you know the logo and the can, how they're created, you know all those sorts of things. Um, what are keywords that come to mind when you think of it's Miller time, you know, really never even talking about music and just having a ton of those sorts of conversations where the job was then for me as the music director to take all of that information and funnel it through a musical lens that I understand. And so coming out of those conversations, I was able to go back to the client and say, based on everything I've learned, 
to me, this is a brand that feels like, you know, a funk soul revival kind of brand, you know, and their eyes kind of got wide and they said, we like all of those words. We've never heard them put together in that way. You know, what does that actually mean? It's a, it's sort of a revival of older styles. Um, it's very, very reliant on a live band feel, something communal, you know, there's, there's funk and there's a huge emphasis on groove. You either want to get up and dance or at very minimal, it's almost impossible to not stomp your feet or nod your head to, you know, the, the groove is essential here. Um, it's not something that can be created on a laptop. It requires real instruments, real players, all those sorts of things. You know, it's inherently sort of tied to the vinyl resurgence and just the need for something more tactile. And they were like, how did you get all of this from hearing about, you know, the size of our logo in relation to, you know, it was just like, it was easy for me to just take more sort of plain spoken information and figure out, okay, what does this mean from a musical standpoint? How do you apply that to a genre, to a feel, to a vibe, to an instrument, you know, whatever it is. And so that was sort of the start of, of sort of that conversation. Sorry, you, you mentioned you mentioned kind of like the sound of the brand, right? Uh, there's there's a specific campaign um, that we actually worked on together. It, it was a while ago, but it was 2019. To this day, I'm I'm surprised by by the bold choice of of Miller um, of Miller Light to to get an artist from Colombia, right? Mm -hmm. That had such an amazing sound, and obviously they have a little bit of that, you know, funk revival, funk soul revival, but they have that Latin twist to it. And how that went on to be a big campaign for general market and how like Miller Lite was able to, you know, be bold and do something like that. And, and it was very successful. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's one of my favorite spots and campaigns. One thing that's been fun about that brand, you know, certain brands are they're wanting to be consistent in terms of a tone or a strategy or an approach you know, or a vibe or mood or whatever it is, but they're willing to be flexible in terms of sound, in terms of instrumentation, all those sorts of things. With Miller Lite in particular, they were very much, they're very much of the mentality that we want a very specific sort of sound. We want you to be able to be in the kitchen doing the dishes and the TV's on the other room and a Miller Lite commercial comes on. And just from hearing the sound of it, the instrumentation, the tempo, all those sorts of things, we want you to know that it's a Miller Lite spot. And so knowing that it was very crucial to set certain sort of parameters of what that sound was gonna be and what it wasn't, Miller Lite has a very, very specific tempo. It's it's sort of like low to mid tempo stuff. It's, it's the sort of thing where you really, you have to go through a lot of music to know exactly what it is. There's a really sort of specific groove, certain set of instruments that work, et cetera, et cetera. Once we sort of set those parameters it was really fun to just sort of go out and go, okay, who's making this kind of music? Who has these, who has these sounds, who has these groups, who has these tempos? And, you know, Miller Lite has been a great brand to work on because they really do believe in being a, a beer brand that is accessible to everybody and one that is embraced by, you know, all demographics, you know, all cultures, pretty much everybody. And there has been a real emphasis on Hispanic marketing from the brand, which I find really exciting. And generally speaking, you know, with, with many of the brands that I have worked on, Miller Lite included, you know, oftentimes you'll go out and, you know, shoot a commercial and whether it's 
you know, bringing in different actors or changing the voiceover, whatever it is, there's some change that is made to make it more hospitable for the Hispanic market. And so this was a Miller Lite campaign where we were going to be putting out a number of spots for general market and then slightly altered in some sort of way for the Hispanic market. And, you know, a lot of brands who don't value music as much might say, ah, it doesn't really matter. Just put the same song on both spots. You know, the Hispanic market will be fine with anything, you know, that we're using in the English market. Um, I am always very impressed when a brand understands that that's not the most sophisticated way to do it. <laughs> and, uh, and that they go, you know, the tastes are not identical, uh, especially if we're working with a song with English lyrics that, that doesn't make any sense. Like let's, let's be thoughtful about this and let's yeah, like you could, say that, you could say that that approach might be a little bit lazy, right? Uh, yeah, instead I of, instead of being proactive and say, Hey, this is a separate culture in a way. Right. Uh, and it requires a different level of, yes, of approach. Yeah. Of course. And so I'm, I'm always impressed anytime that a brand is willing to, to have, to be that thoughtful um, and to put the energy in and to put the time and money into picking specific music that's going to work for specific audiences. Yeah. By the way, sometimes it works. Sometimes it happens to work that, that the song that you use in general market really works well, purposely works right. well. Right. Like there is instances where it mm -hmm. does work well, right? Not to <laughs> right. Yeah. No, for sure. Of course, of course. So yeah, this was a brand that was excited and and willing to to have you know different subset of music for the Hispanic market, and the the spot that you're referring to, you and I worked you know closely together, really across the entire campaign. But we were finding a lot of really really incredible music for the Hispanic market versions, and. I remember it very well. I was, you know, we were in a client presentation at the, you know, office of Molson Coors and a lot of, you know, music was being played and showing different ideas for different spots and things like that. And we played the 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 band that you had mentioned from Colombia. We had played oh, the their bongo song. Hop. The Bongo Hop, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Yes. We had played their song on the Hispanic market version of one spot and the clients were over the moon about it and really, really thrilled. They were speaking so highly about it, you know, love the groove on this. And it, it contained Spanish vocals. It wasn't an instrumental. God, this works so well. This, you know, the spot takes place at a party. This absolutely feels like the people at the party would be listening to this. Like it just felt like such a match. And I just noticed how positively the, the clients were responding to it to a degree that I hadn't really seen them respond to anything else, including the music that they had, you know, kind of softly approved for the general market uh, versions. And so I just sort of raised my voice and was like, hey, we all really seem to love this, like really, really love this song. Would we have any interest in using this in the, you know, English market spot? It seems like we like this more than, you know, the track we were considering for that. And, you know, there was sort of like a little hush around the room and sort of this feeling of like, we've never done that before. Like we've never had a, you know, English general market spot with Spanish lyrics on it. Like that's kind of a strange thing to do. And we just started to have more conversations about it. And yeah, I mean, this was 2018, 2019 when the, you know, Latin boom and pop music was really, becoming a huge thing, um, 
you know, when the likes of, you know, Cardi B and Jay Balvin and Bad Bunny and so many others were breaking doors and, you know, you're seeing the stats of how quickly Latin merchant was, was rising in sort of the general pop market, how much crossover was happening. You know, Drake is singing in Spanish and like all this stuff is happening. Um, Justin Bieber is singing in Spanish. And I just, it felt like a really ripe time to, to do something new, to do something bold and to, you know, feel like now was the moment to do it. We were seeing it happening culturally. And again, it, it was sort of just kind of psyching the clients up a little bit and just being like, hey guys, remember, like we wanna be a music brand. We wanna be a brand that, that feels in tune with current music culture, that we have a space here. You know, this, this doesn't feel like that much of a risk to me. Like it really doesn't. And, and we had some great conversations about it. And ultimately the clients were very on board with it and felt that it was something that their demographic would feel you know, cool about, would find exciting. You know, they just couldn't get over how great the track was. And yeah, it just was the right piece of music for the right client at the right time. And it was really a moment of, of pride. It was something that I hadn't seen up to that point. I'm not really sure I've seen it since, you know, a major general market campaign using a Spanish language song, especially one that isn't like a massive, massive pop smash that feels maybe no, a little bit was, safer. It's not known. It's not that well known. Yeah. Right. You know? And so it was great. And, you know, it's stuff like that that makes the job fun and exciting and the ability, as you said, for discovery and all of those sorts of things. It's that's the cream of the crop for the job. It's, it's powerful. And, and I mean, these days, I mean, Latin culture is ingrained in general market. So like general market right now, a lot of the general market folks are Latin. So it's, <laughs> uh, it's truly a, a, a blend these days. And, and I think that more and more and more. It'll be just this, you know, part of the same audience, but every, it's just a lot of different cultures in one place, right? Um, right. But that's amazing. Uh, that's amazing, Alec. Another awesome campaign that you worked on, which I loved, um, and I was a little bit like, you know, I, I was seeing it and I had seen it in the day, but, you know, I, I was a little bit uh, you know, excited when I, I saw the remix of, of Chicago, mm. um, you know, 25 or 64 and, and the U.S. Yeah. Army. Like just the whole adaptation, the whole process of, of how you did the remix. And obviously, I love the visuals of, of the campaign as well. Uh, can yeah. you talk to us about that process, uh, getting the rights, you know, the publishing rights for that song, and then the whole process of, of re-recording it and remixing it with either a producer? Um, how was that process like? That one has been one of the unequivocal successes of my time at DDB. I think they still play it all the time. I still like get hit up about it constantly as just something that kind of felt like it moved the needle in a really interesting way. Even, you know, people who are within the industry have sort of come out of the woodwork a little bit and, and complimented that as a great piece of work, particularly for the music. And I'm really proud of that. You know, we had just won the U.S. Army account as, a, as an agency, which was to date the biggest account the agency had ever won. Um, It's a really massive piece of business and one with huge sort of cultural and societal stakes, um, the likes of which kind of dwarf everything else in a way. And so, you know, we were in an opportunity to refresh this brand in a way that hadn't been done in at least a decade, if not more than that. We had a really concise and interesting perspective on how to do that, how to tell the story of the U.S. Army 
in a way that hadn't been done before to really expose this brand, which is literally older than the country itself. We've had, we had an army before we had a country. You know, how do you refresh that, you know, to a new generation of audience in, I think it was 2019 that we did it. And so it was a challenge. But, you know, so one of the things that we were sort of aligning on strategically, not even involving music at all, was this notion of sort of, you think you know the U.S. Army, but, and everything after the but was what we were planning on doing with our work, you know, uh, reframing it, reshaping it, holding it into a different light, showing the um, diversity in all aspects that the U.S. Army is in terms of personnel, in terms of where people come from, in terms of skill sets that are needed, et cetera, et cetera. And so that was sort of the overall aim of what we were hoping to accomplish. You know, and musically, we knew we knew that music was going to be a massive tentpole of anything that we were going to do. If we were going to appeal to an entirely new demographic, if we were going to hit people, you know, in a space that they understood and felt connected to, music was arguably the biggest way to do that. And so music had to be far away from the sort of overly patriotic sort of fife and drum kind of sterile, you know, you know, way that the army had maybe been perceived musically in the past. We felt that we had to do something that felt surprising, that felt new, that felt exciting, energizing, you know, and we also frankly wanted to get away from maybe sort of the overtly hyper-masculine energy that the U.S. Army had maybe carried around for a long time. You know, we wanted to do something bold, but bold didn't necessarily have to mean you know, aggressive in, in sort of the way that maybe people had associated with the brand for a long time. And so that set a, a number of challenges for us of how to do that. You know, film trailers were, were a big source of inspiration, you know, big sort of tentpole film franchises and, and things like that. You know, a lot of film composers were really exciting to us in terms of what we were exploring. But, you know, from my own perspective, I took some time to really think about it and I was chewing a lot on that overall sort of strategy of you think you know the U.S. Army, but. And I was just sort of chewing on it and thinking, okay, um, how do you accomplish that notion musically? What does that strategy sound like from a music perspective? And it became readily apparent to me that that's a remix. You know, that's that's the goal of any good remix. You think you know X famous song, but here it is in an entirely new context. Here it is in the hands of a new, exciting, you know, remixer, producer, whatever it is. And so that sort of felt like a really nice strategic tie to the overall notion of what we were doing. And so from that point, it became, all right, well, what's the song? What's the tune? You know, I think when you're dealing with a brand like the US Army, um, you know, for music, your brain sort of maybe tends to go toward things that I would call like, you know, hockey or soccer stadium anthems. You, your, your brain goes to the Black Sabbaths or the Led Zeppelins or the Rage Against the Machines or the White Stripes of the world. And I was very fortunate to be working with a creative team that was sort of pushing beyond that and said, you know, that, that feels expected, that feels um, maybe a little antiquated, you know, all those sorts of things like, Let's be surprising. Let's do something new. Let's do something really fresh and exciting. You know, so what has that sort of energy, but you're not hearing in every soccer stadium around the world right now, which is a challenge. And, 
I think I just sort of started to hone in on what are songs with great riffs that maybe aren't played by hugely distorted electric guitars. You know, so like what's a riff as good as Cashmere um, or a riff as good as Thunderstruck, but isn't played by a quote unquote rock band. That's a good challenge. <laughs> right. And, you know, and so then, you know, where I started to look was, you know, a lot of Motown is that sort of stuff. Um, you know, and for uh, a minute, you know, we were looking into things like the Temptations, Get Ready, you know, stuff which is great, great riffs that just feel bold, but not as, you know, as like, you know, quote unquote, like aggressive as like hard rock stuff. Um, so it was a lot of Motown and a lot of stuff that was inspired by Motown. And yeah, 25 or 6 to 4 just sort of came up in the conversation of that song has riffs for days. That has like five great riffs. Um, you know, some played by horns, some played by guitars, a lot of interplay, vocals have amazing melodies. It just felt like so much to play with. And we had a couple different options. We had a couple different ideas that we were passionate about. And then it was really just, all right, let's go out and make these things and see if they have the sort of legs that we think that they might. And so we reached out to a number of remixers um, that we felt really strongly would be able to internalize what we were going for. Um, you know, we had a cut of the film, which is so compelling to look at that, you know, I think created a great idea of the world that we were hoping to live in. Um, you know, there's so much action. It, it really does feel like a film trailer. And then, you know, remixers that we worked with, they, they came back with, uh, a couple different takes on 25 to 6 to 4. And there was just one in particular that I remember every single person who heard it got out of their chair and was just like, it's not every day that you hear something that sounds like something you've never heard before. And this just sort of lit a fire under all of us and felt so new and exciting and bold and hit all of the strategy sort of points that we were hoping to hit as a brand, not even just through music. And so, you know, we all got extremely excited about it. And I had been having sort of side conversations with Chicago's label and publisher. And luckily for us, they were very, very on board with the idea of it. Um, this was a band that was, you know, looking for how to connect with, you know, a younger audience. And, you know, what does Chicago mean in 2018 or 2019? So they were very excited about the idea of it. I think that there was some hesitancy in association with the brand, which is understandable. Um, I think when we were able to show them the film and that there really is not a reliance on violent imagery, there's not a heavy reliance on, you know, machine gun weaponry or things like that. Um, you know, like we, we are showing bioengineers in the spot. We're showing a chef in the spot. We're showing a helicopter pilot in the spot. You know, it's not all quote unquote soldiers that are armed. And so I think when we were able to show them that and to play them the piece of music that felt so revitalizing and rejuvenating, and we were using the master recording, which they also loved and thought was really clever as opposed to making a totally new thing. I think that they just felt a real sense of trust that they were in good hands with us that we were doing something that was, you know, culturally appropriate, um, interesting, compelling, and that if done right was going to, you know, really put them on the map in a way that they hadn't been in so long. 
and so you know we got lucky that that what we created was just so good that it was hard to say no and to not be excited and yeah. you know ultimately we put it out it was massively well received um oh, and the song is super well produced uh yeah it's it, it's, it makes so much sense like the instrumentation it's awesome. behind it yeah it's so badass and it was actually it was so positive you know this is the best thing that can ever happen is you have people you know online and etc saying where can i hear this thing and that had never been part of the plan um but there was such a clamoring for it and the band themselves were like we need a full-length version of this we want to put this out on dsps under our name um which never happens that's amazing um you know considering they hadn't they didn't have a hand in making the remix they were like we want to put this out as chicago and so you know by this point we were in quarantine this was like the beginning of quarantine but it was a mad rush to get a full-length version made and we brought on you know an independent rapper that we had found and really felt connected to called real name james to lay vocals on it and um he ended up meeting the band and they all really got along and loved each other's energy and if it wasn't for covid chicago would be on a world tour right now and i believe that this was going to be their walkout music um wow. you know so it's like you know a thing that we made for a commercial was going to have a real life you know That's impact crazy. and be out in the real world you know muse by cleo listed it in their list of top trailers of the year um we were the only ad in the category i don't think that anyone was asking for an ad to be in the category but they put down there saying this is as good as <laughs> this is as good as the judas and the black messiah trailer and the batman trailer and all of that it's a great story yeah. and, i mean so well done But yeah, like, I mean, your feedback has been amazing. Your thoughts on the industry, on music and advertising. I think a lot of people are going to really like this episode. But before I let you go, I know you're an artist as well. I know you have a single out there. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you're working on? Because uh, I know you, you got something cooking. Oh, that's very kind. Um, yes. Uh, so I am an artist, producer, songwriter, also a, you know, music writer and essayist and a dj and clearly music is everything that i do um <laughs> but yes i did put out a single just and you have months. you have a great newsletter as well yes uh you can sign up at alecjstern.com yeah i put out a monthly newsletter of just something to read uh watch a playlist every month of new music something to experience every month all having to do with music but yeah i put out a single about a week and a half ago it's called settle for these stories you can find it on all streaming platforms um features a couple incredible chicago musicians and there is a full record that's done that will be coming probably top of 2022 um i'll probably put out another two or three singles between then and now and uh it's fun wearing my artist hat amazing can't, can't wait to hear the album um alec thank you so much for for sharing everything with us amazing insightful you know have a great weekend and and we'll be in touch man thank you so much i appreciate you thanks